I'm your host, Tia Wilson, and this is No Thanks in Advance. Hello, hello, hello! Perfectionism. <laughs> okay, perfectionism has been a big part of my life. For instance, I've been sitting on the idea of this podcast for years. And I've been sitting on some of these episodes that I've pre-recorded for months. So I finally gave myself a deadline and I'm recording this the day before I plan to post it. And it took a whole lot to get me in my seat. You know, I'm procrastinating when I start doing the other tasks that I've been avoiding, like my chores. I was like looking around my room and I was like, there's some holes in the wall. I think I should get out the spackle. I'm going to change my wiper fluid. I actually did. I went and changed my windshield wiper fluid um, to avoid this podcast. I'm like, oh, I think I need to go fold the dishes. Um, It's pretty bad. I just, with perfectionism, um, procrastination goes really hand in hand. I actually started choking before I started this video. And in my head, I was like, yes. Because it meant there was just one more minute before I had to be imperfect. (laughs) But I'm working on it. And the fact that I'm even posting this podcast at all means that I've made a lot of improvement. And so I want to talk to you guys about perfectionism, how it showed up for me having obsessive compulsive disorder and ADHD, and how I'm combating them. To start off, let's talk about adaptive versus maladaptive perfectionism. So adaptive perfectionism is the healthy kind. It's the kind that pushes us to be better and encourages us toward success. Maladaptive perfectionism is the opposite. It's the kind that can take up our whole day, can get in the way of relationships, affect finances, it can feel entirely overwhelming. It's really common with things like OCD and ADHD. Um, Millicent Kelly says that adaptive perfectionistic individuals set high but realistic standards and don't resort to harsh self-criticism when these standards are not reached. An example of adaptive perfectionism is the star track runner who continuously sets out to beat his best time but accepts the results when this doesn't happen. Obviously, maladaptive perfectionism is kind of the opposite. You're very harsh and self-critical. You do beat yourself up when it doesn't happen, and it has a lot to do with control. It can stem from a lack of control in other areas of your life. So maybe you have a bad home life, and so you focus a whole lot on your schoolwork. Um, maybe you have a whole lot of insecurities, and so you find ways to create external external worth. Um, one of the biggest differences is that adaptive perfectionism has to do with your output, not your worth. Um, but as kids, we're often praised for what we do. You know, someone comes up to you and is like, oh, you're so smart because you got that A on that test. And you start thinking that what you do is who you are. And so then as soon as you're maybe not doing so great on your tests, it feels like maybe you're not so great. And that's something I experienced a whole lot growing up. I quit everything or I burnt out. I was the top of my class for a really long time. And I was state champ um, in my division for Irish dancing. I was just kind of doing good. But then the second that I started getting second in my class and I started taking third place in state competitions, I just panicked. 
my OCD really grabbed onto it and I felt like if I can't do it perfectly, I shouldn't do it at all. I stopped practicing and I started finding creative ways to quit that didn't make me feel like even more of a failure. So I quit Irish dance, I quit singing, I quit piano, I kind of quit school in a way, I stopped doing my homework, I started falling really behind. In high school, I I stopped speaking Spanish um, after I graduated high school because I knew my accent wasn't perfect and I knew I would occasionally misconjugate something, so I stopped. And I think one of the most frustrating things about it is that I knew it wasn't logical. You know, I knew that you did not have to speak Spanish with a perfect accent for it to be worthwhile. Or I didn't have to play the piano like Mozart. Mozart played the piano, right? Was he just a composer? He had to have played the piano. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have to play the piano like some awesome pianist for it to be worthwhile. I could do these things that I just simply enjoyed simply because I enjoyed them. But despite knowing that logically, it still didn't feel like anything had merit unless I could do it perfectly. And it was really unfortunate because it trumped a lot of the things that could have and should have taken priority. Like when a non-English speaker was speaking to me in Spanish and yet my perfectionism was had such a strong hold on me, the emotions connected were so visceral that I couldn't overcome it enough to respond to them in Spanish. Despite me knowing and having you know the value and belief system of being kind and compassionate and caring and knowing that being the kind, compassionate, caring thing to do would be to respond to them in Spanish, their native language, the perfectionism was so deeply rooted that I couldn't. It's like my, my tongue wouldn't move. And I just stand there frozen. Um, and the hard thing is I beat myself up. You know, I, I took a look at all of these things that were taking the back seat to my perfectionism and just felt real, real bad about it. I felt like my relationships were changing because I was so focused on the perfectionism that I started having a really competitive and judgmental mindset toward my peers, especially in junior high, which maybe everyone had a fairly competitive judgmental mindset in junior high. But I I remember just like looking at my peers and instead of focusing on their talents and how beautiful their talents were, I they just made me feel like less than. Them having success and them having talents felt like it was taking away from mine because I couldn't be as perfect as them. So I stopped doing the things I loved, like art and singing and all these things. I actually, I read a quote today that said, you know, I mean, this is a paraphrase and I'm not going to do a good job, but essentially when you're working on some form of art, you know, be it musical theater or painting, whatever it is, you often don't like your own work because you're hoping it will look like someone's work who's better than you. You want your work to be better and to that you want it to look like someone who's better than you. But in pursuing that, you're losing the very quality to your art that makes it so important and it's it's individuality. It's you. It's your art. You know, and I think we sometimes forget to slow down and focus on why we're doing art to begin with. And we can get so caught up in the perfectionism of it that we lose all the joy that's there. And that happened a lot for me. 
I became competitive and flaky and disconnected. I think disconnected is a really, really keen word to describe the way I felt. Um, I couldn't keep deadlines. I couldn't um, keep commitments. I felt irresponsible. And so much of that tied right back to my self-worth where I was like, okay, again, all my external output is my worth. And so because I'm not creating perfect output, I have no worth. And it would kind of create this cycle where because I had no worth, I didn't want to try anything. You know, it just would just cycle until I really stopped doing a lot of the things I loved. And the only things I was really doing were some of them just mandatory for survival and other times were to please others, to, you know, pick up a hobby, not because I liked it, but because I knew it would make someone else happy or would impress so-and-so. And again, disconnected is a really keen word there. So what did I do about it? What can we do about it? Um, I'm going to walk you through just four things that I think are really important here. Number one is awareness. It's, I mean, that's like the first thing with any mental health issue, right? But when you find yourself working toward perfectionism, pause and ask yourself why. Like why, maybe you're working on an art project, why am I working toward perfectionism here? What would it say about you if you didn't achieve perfection? Let me just say that again. What would it say about you if you didn't achieve perfection? Start noticing those patterns. What's coming to your mind? Do you zone out when you're in that perfectionistic kind of trance? Because I do. I'll get in this perfectionistic trance and I'll stop focusing on why I was even doing this product to begin with. Why I even cared to begin with. Um, If I'm just being honest, that happened with Instagram for me. I originally created an Instagram account. I guess I had an Instagram account, but I started to really dive into Instagram as a means to an end. I hoped that I would be able to um, create enough of a following there that I could start doing what I really wanted to do, which was public speaking. But I got so caught up in perfectionism with Instagram and making sure I did this and that right and making sure each post was perfect, each filter, I would have probably 50 different versions of the same photo, trying to find the one that was perfect. I would spend hours every day. I kind of got stuck in this cycle of just doing Instagram for the sake of perfectionism, for the sake of proving something. And I forgot completely all about the whole reason I was doing it to begin with. I was doing this thing that originally I knew would drain me, but I was doing it in hopes of doing something that would fill me, the public speaking would fill me. And instead I got so caught up in the cycle that I wasn't even doing the things that filled me anymore. And I was burning out really, really hard and had to go a period with no Instagram, just, I mean, kind of complete radio silence just to, just to recover. Um, and so start being aware of why you're doing what you're doing why you originally were doing what you're doing and what's changed, what it says about you if you don't achieve perfection in this instance. Number two is disconnecting our worth from our output. And so a big part of that comes back to the awareness piece from earlier. I started journaling every time I felt the panic of perfectionism. I asked myself why, what it was saying about me. And often it was, I am not enough. I am not enough unless I have 12,000 Instagram followers. I am not enough unless my makeup is perfect or my wardrobe is perfect or I own this perfect thing or I have the perfect singing voice or I am dating the perfect person. Whatever it is, 
um, I kept noticing this pattern of I am not enough. And it might not be that for you. It might be something else. It might be if I don't achieve perfection, perfection, I am not worthy of love. If I don't achieve perfection, I'll be alone forever. If I don't achieve perfection, I'll um, maybe have a a material um, issue. Like I won't achieve success in my career. Whatever it is, start noticing. What is it that's coming up? And start tracking it and writing down all the times you feel that way. For me, when I would notice myself really grabbing onto perfectionism and I'd realize it was because I felt like it would somehow prove my enoughness, I'd go and write down all the other times I felt like this. I'd notice the emotion that I was feeling, where in my body I was feeling it. So maybe um, I am working on an art project. I'm so fixated on it, fixated on it that I'm not... Um, Actually, art project isn't a good one. Let's say I'm focusing on singing. I say art project isn't a good one because that's actually one where I feel like I have adaptive perfectionism. I'm able to use perfectionism in my art in a way that serves me. It's about the only place in my life I can do that. But um, singing was a big one for me. I stopped singing for a long time. And so if I ask myself, like, why am I not singing? Okay, it's because I feel like I'm not enough. If I don't have a perfect voice, I'm not good enough. I'd start to write out all the other times I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I wasn't good enough when I um, got second place or this happened. I'd go way back into childhood and I'd write this whole list. Um, And then I start to kind of ask myself, what is the opposite of this? Believing I'm not enough. The opposite is believing I am enough, right? What would it look like what would my life look like? What would I feel like if I believed that? If I believed I was enough? And I'd start writing that out. If I believed I was enough, I would sing because I enjoy it. If I believed I was enough, I would um, ask this person out. If I believed I was enough, I would, you know, and I'd write down all of those things. And then I'd start to try to live that. I would start to try to live as if I believed I was enough. And again, I am enough might not be the phrase for you, but start noticing because I'm. there's often a pattern. There's often an underlying belief that might be false. And the more we're able to disconnect that belief and start living, the way you change it is you start living as if you believe the opposite. That's when you start to see real change. And that brings us to number three, which is intentional imperfection. So especially for OCD, this might come in the form of exposure therapy. What this looked like for me is I went to a center for my OCD and as we're working on my perfectionism threat, I would write out everything I was avoiding, everything I was doing because of the perfectionism, and then we'd start to create the opposite. So if I was avoiding singing, we'd create an opportunity for me to sing. And one thing I want to clarify with exposure therapy is it's it's not that simple. It's not, okay, you're not singing because of all these fears, so now we're going to put you in a concert hall and go have at it. It's very methodical, and you're doing it alongside a therapist who's able to give you some coping skills, and they're able to help you to make sure you're doing it at the correct pace so that you're not worsening your OCD symptoms or white-knuckling, you know, all of these different things. That's why it's so important you do exposure therapy with a therapist. If you have OCD, a different condition that causes maladaptive perfectionism, or you just have um, 
severe maladaptive perfectionism, please do exposure therapy with a therapist um, because it's really easy to do it incorrectly. But it's very methodical. You're working toward these things. So for me, Spanish, again, I brought that up earlier. They had me sit and speak Spanish with one of the clinical assistants. Um, And I kind of would work my way up. I worked, I started, you know, talking with an assistant who I knew Spanish was also his second language. So it was a little easier for me to talk with him. And then maybe I, you know, start talking with someone who's a native Spanish speaker. And I, I built my way up. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And so I don't want it to sound like it is. Because it, you know, it might sound really simple on paper. Like, oh, you just, you just start speaking Spanish again. You know, Spanish, you start speaking. But it's, it's so visceral. It's so overwhelming the way OCD and other conditions can play on your emotions because that's what they're doing. They're playing on your emotions. You, you might know it's illogical, but they play on your emotions. Um, another one was art. I, while my, at the time, I guess I did have some maladaptive perfectionism in regards to art. And so what they had me do was sit in a room with another clinical assistant and she gave me a suggestion of something to draw. I drew it and I handed it to her. And for the remainder of the hour, she looked at my drawing and didn't say a word. That was the exposure. She wasn't allowed to give me constructive criticism. She wasn't allowed to tell me, give me praise, say a single thing. She just had to look at it. And me sitting there looking at someone else, looking at this art piece that I knew wasn't awesome, I had just done it super quickly, was very distressing. Especially because I think she was an art major. So it was like extra overwhelming. But I sat there for an hour. And then as I got more used to doing that, the next day we hung it on the wall in the middle of the conference room where I knew other people would see it. But no one knew it was mine. Only I knew. After a couple weeks of getting used to it being on the wall, I went and wrote my name on it. So people knew it was my work. And then I sat with that distress. And so it's, it's very hierarchical. You're building up toward the biggest step. It's like a staircase. By the time you reach the top step, it doesn't feel like you've climbed this whole mountain because you've been taking it one stair at a time. Um, probably the best, the, the best, the best exposure, the best exposure I did in therapy um, for perfectionism was for my singing. I love to sing but I know I don't have a perfect voice by any means. And I'm very um, musically conscious. And so it makes it even harder because I'm very aware of issues. I'm very aware. Why I don't know why I'm talking like this. Um, I'm very aware of issues. I feel like I have a weird accent right now. Um, very aware of issues and how to correct them. But I don't always know the method to get there. I'm able to be like, okay, I'm flat, but I don't know exactly how to fix it, you know? And so... It's a, it was a really, really big one for me, and I'd kind of stopped singing. Um, and at the center, they had me start off as an exposure, singing with one other person. We did vocal exercises together, and that was manageable for me because I knew people wouldn't be able to differentiate my voice from hers. It was in a group, you know. The door was closed. It was just us, you know, singing in a room. It was okay. Um, it was distressing, but I was okay. And the next step was I was singing alone in a room by myself with a track. So the singer of the song, I was singing along with them. And so that was a little more difficult, but still manageable. The next step was singing without the vocal track, a karaoke version, alone in a room with the door closed. After that, I started singing that karaoke version with a clinical assistant in the room. 
And the first few songs I had him sing with me so I could build up the courage. And then I sing by myself. Um, After that, I invited a friend to come listen to me sing. That was really hard. My distress is going up each, each time, but then after getting used to it a little bit, it goes down. The distress is often worse beforehand than it was during. And then, you know, the next time I'm singing without anyone there, the door closed, but louder. And the next time I'm singing in the room, all by myself, door open, in the middle of this center, everyone can hear me. People came and commented afterwards, I'm just belting songs. I could not have just gone straight to that step, just belting songs in the middle of a treatment center, but by building up, I was able to get there, and it felt incredible. The song I sang was Bird Set Free by Sia, and one of the lines is, I don't care if I sing off key, I found myself in the melody, I sing for love, I sing for me, I shout it out like a bird set free, and that just completely summarized my experience. I knew I was singing off key, but I didn't care because I found myself in the melody. As cheesy as it sounds, I, I found this love and this passion and this hope. And I was doing something I loved despite it being imperfect. And so with exposures, you know, your distress might not go down. It doesn't for everyone. It doesn't for every exposure. There's some um, of my themes that the distress never really fully went away. But you're able to see the merit. You're able to see how much more time you have when you're not doing the perfectionism. You're able to see... The connection you're able to regain, you're able to see all these different things that are so important. And so it kind of makes it worth it, even if the distress doesn't go down. Um, it doesn't mean you're going from A quality work to F quality. Maybe you're just spending one minute less than you normally would on a task. If you're not someone whose you know, exposure therapy isn't the extent of your illness, and you really, you can, anyone can go and do exposure therapy. You do not have to be diagnosed or have a really severe threat or fear or distress level to go and do this but if you're just doing it at home maybe you're just spending one minute less than you normally would on a task maybe you're performing a piece for a friend with one less rehearsal whatever it is we're just trying to cut back on the perfection giving up a little bit of our control accepting a little bit more uncertainty um and seeing what happens you know I think the more I expose myself to imperfection, the more I like it. I was listening to an ADHD YouTube channel the other day, and they were talking about clutter. I, before watching that video, I was like, I hate clutter. Clutter is the worst. It stresses me out so much. But they started talking about how everyone can have some level of clutter that's good for them and some level that's bad. And it's different for everyone. So one girl said, I really like um, cozy clutter is what she called it. She likes having blankets and stuffed animals, even if it looks cluttered, that's comforting to her. Meanwhile, she doesn't like tech clutter, cords and wires and all of that. And I was able to look around my room and be like, oh, like I actually really like my my creative clutter. I love the corner where I paint and there's messes and I actually really love that being messy. It makes me, it reminds me that I'm creating, you know, Um, but I don't love the tech clutter. And I don't love the laundry clutter. Yeah, I was able to kind of pinpoint. And that is just kind of a an example to me of the way perfectionism isn't maybe all it's cracked up to be. And, you know, even if you don't end up liking the imperfection, you'll have a lot more time in your day to do things you do like. Like go on dates and watch movies and hug strangers and all those lovely things. Um, one thing I've been really focusing on in this in- 
search for intentional imperfection is the 70% rule. That's something that I learned from Struthless on YouTube. I don't know if he made it up or if he learned it from somewhere, but you should watch his video on it. The idea is that if we're trying always to find 100% perfection, we never will and all will be as dissatisfied. But there are some things that are worth doing imperfectly. In fact, probably most things are worth doing imperfectly. Maybe all things are worth doing imperfectly. And so for him, the number he's created in his head to gauge whether something is worth doing imperfectly is 70%. Can I do this task 70% perfectly? If the answer is yes, it's worth doing. And he keeps to that. So, you know, he's an artist and he's doing an art project. Can he do it 70% imperfectly? Yes. And once he hits 70%, that's when he stops. Um, And that's been so instrumental for me. It just kind of illuminated, illuminated my brain. And it's been super, super cool to see the way that applies to my life. The way I can stop at 70% and oftentimes sometimes have something that's worth just as much as it would have been if, it, if I had done 100%. And I save time and I save energy and I save emotion because often for me, after the 70% is when I start to have the anxiety come in and the perfectionism panic and I start to get overwhelmed. But when I stop at 70% perfect, it's often pretty good and I'm feeling pretty good. Um, my screensaver right now just says good enough because that's what I'm striving for. I'm settling for good enough instead of spending so much time and energy and emotion finding perfection. Instead of spending hours researching the perfect shampoo, which I have, I'm just using one that's good enough. Instead of, you know, spending um, all your emotional energy on creating the most perfect journal entry, I'm scribbling it down, doing something that's good enough. And again, I've started to see the beauty in that. The fourth and final thing I would say is values work. If I look back and think about how much time I was prioritizing perfectionism over something I valued, it's kind of crazy. Um, How many times was I focusing so much on making my Instagram post perfect that I forgot the whole reason I wanted to post in the first place was to help people? How many times I focused so much on organizing my room perfectly that I forgot that my room is supposed to be a place of rest and respite. Focusing so much on the perfect date, you never go on one. Focusing so much on the perfect meal, you don't eat. Like, how many times was I prioritizing perfection over something I valued? So, a really good values work exercise. And you can do values work with a therapist. There's so many therapists that do values work. And it's a lot more than just this. But... A really good exercise is writing a list of values. You can print a list offline and cut them out, or you can look at a list online and write them down. Make a list of a ton of values. You can buy value cards even. They sell them um, online. (laughs) Everything's online. You can buy value cards that just say values. Things like love, compassion, kindness, grace, um, perfection. You know, all of these different things that can be values. Freedom, whatever it is. And then you prioritize them. You make a list. What's most important to you? What are your top five? You know, you kind of start to explore what values mean to you. And they can all be important. Um, You know, I don't know any bad values necessarily that you would get off one of these lists. That you can value all of them. 
but there's usually some that are more important to you. And so this is just an exercise to help you figure out what matters to you and start to prioritize them over the perfectionism. Prioritize healthy relationships over perfectionism. Prioritize having time to be outside over perfectionism. Whatever it is, find what you value. Figure out what matters and do your best to live true to them and remember that it's your values that make up who you are, not your output. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. Have you struggled with perfectionism? I'd love to hear about it. So be sure to leave me a voice memo at the link in the show notes. You can just yeah, click the link, leave me a voice memo. You can say if you want it anonymous or not anonymous, and you might just hear yourself in a future episode. You can also say if you don't want me to share it in a future episode, because I will not if you don't want me to. But I am so grateful for you guys. Thank you for tuning in to my imperfect podcast, and I hope you have a beautifully imperfect day.